Father, we are just so grateful for the gospel. We are so grateful that we can even sing today, be the fire in our hearts, because you have promised to pour your spirit on us. Just so grateful that we can say you are good, because we are all testimonies here today of how you have poured your goodness out on each and every one of us. Lord God, we are amazed by the outrageous grace. We are absolutely astonished at just the vastness of your love and your humility that you would come and you would die and you would rise again and you would invite us into this relationship with you. We say, God, you are good. (laughs) We say you are so good. And we love you and we worship you. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just quickly take your seats? We're going to come back to worship in, in a little while. I just AD, you're muted. Paul just kind of prodded me there and said, do you want to preach on the back of this song? And I thought, absolutely, I'd love to. Um, I just, so my name's Alid. It's an absolute privilege to be uh, talking this morning. Um, I'm not going to do too much of a big introduction because I don't want to lose the moment that we're in. Um, but just to say that um, last week, Paul kicked us off in just a short kind of a three-week series on following Jesus. And I think there's something about that song that we've just sung which encapsulates something of what it is for a true believer to follow Jesus. It's saying, actually, in everything, in every area of my life, I want you to be centre of it. Actually, be the fire in my veins. Be everything behind my ambitions, my motives, everything else. And so the title of this preach series, Following Jesus in a Countercultural Kingdom, what we're doing is we're just taking some different words of Jesus over these three weeks and we're going to just apply them to our own lives. And today I'm just going to look at an area of discipleship which actually Jesus spoke an awful lot about, whereas I think probably in 21st century Western church we don't talk too much about, and that is the cost of following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus. And it's so important that we don't shortchange the gospel. That we don't shortchange the gospel. And what I mean by that is this, that we cannot emphasize just the blessings of being in Christ while bypassing the cost of following Christ. Actually, for you, I would hope that when you sung the words of that song, you recognized that it was going to come at a cost to sing those words. At least it should, shouldn't it? If you're truly going to say, you're going to be the Lord of my life, every area of my life, that is actually a really costly thing to sing. So yes, there are blessings, but only when there is cost. So let's just very briefly look at just a few things that Jesus said to start us off. And once I've unpicked a few things about what it is about the cost of following Jesus, we'll maybe come back to a song and then finish later on. Matthew 10, verses 37 to 39. Let's just have a quick look at a few things that Jesus uh, says. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross, and in some of the Gospels he says, take up his cross daily and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you've got Bibles, flip through to Matthew 13, uh, verses 44 to 45. They will come up behind me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And then just one more passage, Matthew 19 Verses 21, and this is in the context of Jesus talking to a rich young man who said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says this, Jesus said, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. These are just a few of many encounters through the Gospels where Jesus outlines the cost of following him, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. You know, if if we were to try and sell a product, we would go big on the benefits and we would probably put the cost in small print, wouldn't we? That's what we do. Jesus puts the small print in bold. He says, no, this is the cost of what it is to follow me. And there's a good reason for doing this, a really good reason. And it's the problem of self-sovereignty. The problem of self-sovereignty, the sovereignty of self. In other words, I am the king or the queen of my own life. I am the God of my own life. And we're surrounded by a culture that is shaped by this mentality, aren't we? It says we deserve to get better, to get more, to get profile, to get power, you name it, get influence, get control. Why? Because you're worth it. Because it's about you. Self-reliance, self-promotion, my rights, my labels, my opportunities, my comfort, my recognition, my opinions, my dreams. You put it there, that's what the world says that we deserve. Why? Because it's about self-sovereignty. Ultimately, we know the universe revolves around my world. But we know from the Bible, and I'm not going to talk too much about this because I know I'm, for most of us, I'm talking to the converted. We know that going our own way, being the king of our own life, has actually left us far away from God. And the source of true life, actually, because God is the source of true life. We know that from the Bible. But maybe if you're here and you're not a Christian or you haven't heard the news of Jesus, basically the starting point is whatever you're searching for in this life, none of it will be able to satisfy you. None of it actually ultimately brings life. We find that it doesn't matter how much or better or more we get or how many opportunities we have or how much comfort or sex or fun we have, we're left with this deep sense of dissatisfaction in what the world offers But there's another problem with sin of self-sovereignty, of being the king of my own life, and it's this, is that there's this insatiable desire for more. An insatiable desire for more. So therefore, our dissatisfaction, actually what sin says, is all you need is to add more and you'll get satisfied. Unsatisfaction leads to more searching. So if this area doesn't work, then you go here. And if that doesn't area work, then you try this. 
Sin is the master of the bolt-on culture, the add-on culture. All right, do you get what I mean by that? Basically, in other words, if only I had this, if only I could bolt this onto my life, then I'd get the life I deserve or that I wanted. And I think Jesus is so aware, he's so aware of the appeal of sin, and he knows the hold of self-sovereignty on our lives. So from the outset, he wants us to know that the gospel he offers is not just another bolt on to your life. This is not just another add-on to your old life. No, Jesus says all of that old life, all those old ways of thinking, all those old ways of being, you need to go sell it all if you're going to go and find the treasure and purchase the treasure in the field. This is the cost of following Jesus. No, you need to sacrifice. You need to give it all up if it means you come to follow Jesus. This, this is the cost of following Jesus. He says that following him and receiving the, the kingdom will cost you everything. It will cost you your whole life. Your preferences, it will cost you that. Your lifestyle, your sex life, your money, your choices, your language, your comforts, even your friends and family, it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. Joe, there are many people even around the world today that in order to follow Jesus literally means I'm going to have to leave my family and my community at risk of death because following him is the treasure in the field. They've counted the cost. Can I just ask you, what did it cost you to follow him? What does it cost us to follow Jesus? It will cost you everything to follow him, whether you know it or not. You see, if you want a strong Christianity, if we want a strong Christianity, then you need death to self in order for life to reign. Do you understand that? We can't have both. Not dying to self leads to a weak, worthless gospel. It leads to an add-on gospel, a bolt-on gospel to your old life. It's not God's gospel. And one of the biggest temptations, actually, even for us as a church today, would be to potentially downplay repentance and eternal judgment and talking about dying to self. And the result of that would end up with be many people saved but still serving self. Jesus tackles it at the very beginning. If you want to come follow me, what does he say to the young rich man? The one thing that was Lord in his life, he says, go and sell everything, give it all away, and then come follow me. And he'll say to us, I don't want areas of your life, you would say, actually, a king in my life. But Jesus says, no, you've got to give it all away. You sell it all to get the treasure in the field. We need to really consider whether we're counting the cost of following Jesus or whether we've just signed up for a bolt on Jesus. Cue round two of Jesus. Here we go, Matthew 7. Man, I'll tell you what, let me be honest, right? I was reading these things and it challenges me. Maybe if you haven't read the Gospels in a while, just read the Gospel and let Jesus do a number on you. Because when he gives you an invitation to follow him, it comes at a cost. And sometimes I can go weeks, months, years, and I think, man, I'm not sure if I followed, really counted the cost of following Jesus in the everyday. 
Here's some more things that he says. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And then will I declare to them, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, they didn't have the law written in their hearts. They added this to their old life. What does he say to the Pharisees and the scribes? He says in Matthew 23, verses 27 to 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are the warnings to people who have fallen for a bolt-on Jesus, a bolt-on religion. I'll just add stuff to my old life. The motivation is still image, comfort, religion, reputation. Jesus hated it. He hated the religious leaders that on the street corners would kind of make themselves look glim just so everyone would know what they're doing in their fasting that they would pray out really loud just so everyone else could see the context and the content of their spiritual life. And God says, you're like a tomb with dead bones. There is no life to you. I don't even know you. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. But the true gospel comes at a cost. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, can I just state the obvious in that sentence there? Jesus didn't bear your cross. Just hear what I'm saying? Because Jesus said this before he went to the cross. Jesus bore the cross. Jesus bore the cross and took on the punishment of all of your sin and all your guilt and all your shame. But Jesus says, no, you need to bear your cross. You need to pick up your cross and follow him. Don't think that Jesus bearing the cross means that we don't have to. He's just modelled what it looks like to bear a cross, die to an old life and enter into a new one. And now he says you do the same. He's called us to pick up our cross and follow him, die to our old life and receive a new one. Now let me just give you some really good news because you're looking awfully miserable. Honestly, in a minute, when I get to the roundup of this, you'll understand why that song we just sang, I think we're going to sing that song in a minute in a way which you didn't do five, ten minutes ago. Let me give you some really good news about the cost of following Jesus. Because I think this now, what I'm going to say, will completely change your mindset and understanding of what Jesus is asking you for. All right, let me tell you something. The cost, this great cost of following Jesus is to give him everything that is unable to provide you with life and fulfillment in order to get what does. Think about it. Jesus says you need to give me your whole life in order to receive life. What he's saying is all those things that the world says is worth fighting for and will satisfy, which we know 
doesn't satisfy. God says, give me all the junk. Give me all the rubbish. Give me all the trash. I'll give you the treasure. So when Jesus says about the cost of following him, it's not that we're saying, what do you mean I can't sleep with my boyfriend? It's the wrong way of thinking about it. Actually, God's best for us. We say, man, I'm willing to part with the sacrifice, the cost of that. Why? Because God has got something which is so much better than me. It's the joy. It's the treasure in the field. All of our culture says that we need money, sex, companionship, careers, looks, wealth, power, recognition, control, image, Facebook likes, whatever you put in that spot. None of it can fulfill us. None of it can satisfy. So the cost in giving it up, that you agree, seems small, small in consideration against, in comparison, in, in, in comparison to the treasure that you get as a result. And I think that's why Jesus can say, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has to get the treasure. There's a joy to it. There's a choice to actually saying, I oh, know I don't need to run over these, after these things that don't satisfy. Why? Because I've been offered a treasure. It, it, I willingly give those things up in order to follow him. Jesus, if I'm honest, Jesus seems to get a real bum deal, doesn't he? He says all of those ambitions, hopes, plans, all those dreams, all those things that the world that you've been chasing after, no, you lay them down at the foot of the cross and I'll give you a life that really, truly does satisfy We're not talking just about a trading of your sin. We're not talking just about a trading of our guilt and our shame. We're not just talking about a trading of our punishment on the cross. We're talking about a trading of your identity, of your thinking, of your desires, of your image, of what is valuable to us, our perspective, our choices. We're talking about a trading of a whole new life, guys. A whole new life. This is not a bolt-on gospel. It's not a bolt-on gospel. This isn't life plus Jesus. This is, I'm completely dead to my old life. And now everything about my new life revolves about him. This is not about me being king of my own life. This is about me saying, you're the king of my heart. Do you understand that? Look, listen, I'd encourage you, don't sing songs like that unless you mean it. Don't, honestly, don't, don't sing, you're the king of my heart. If God knows your heart is elsewhere, what it means is, God, what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm going to die to my old life. I'm going to sell everything I've got in order to come and, and find the treasure in the field and purchase the treasure in the field. It cost me everything, but boy, is it worth it. We can find joy in it, but this is not a bolt-on gospel. You know, I think many of us, if not all of us, will have areas of thinking uh, man, just as I was preparing this, God telling me about areas of thinking or behavior that reflects more the old me, not my new me. We need to die to our old life and live in the new life. And we need to remind ourselves of what it looks like to find joy in giving up the trash in order to delight in the treasure. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, are you with me? Good. Hope you are. 
There's a lot of kind of, oh my goodness, did he just say all that? No, Jesus did. All right? The question is, are you following the right Jesus? So let's just talk about this new life that he offers. Because when we have a new master, we have a new way of living. All right? Life with Jesus must be different, surely. No? Life with Jesus must be, because if all we're doing in following Jesus is adding meetings to our old life, I do not want it. Do you? I don't want it. It's not about our old life and just adding church to our old life. It's something which means completely, it's something completely different. It can't just be the same as before. Well, let's have a look and see what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, I've just read this incredible book by a guy called John Mark Comer. Um, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't read it, I'd really recommend it. He says, uh, he says this, he says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. He also, just in a throwaway comment, says, most Westerners are just too busy to follow Jesus. It's a challenge. And I think what Jesus has just said in this passage about having his yoke, I find this so helpful but I only found it helpful when I truly understood what, understood what he meant. Because this is what I used to think. I used to think that Jesus was just going to add a yoke to me. So I had my worldly yoke, and Jesus was then going to put extra pressure on me. I now need to do this Christian stuff. I now need to go to church, and I need to do all this stuff. I look at all my friends in secular work and just think, crumbs, you don't have to do all that I have to do. It feels burdensome. But then I realised what Jesus really meant here. So let me just, in fact, Steve Tippett, could I borrow you for a minute? Would that be all right? Or I could ask someone else? No, go on, it's fine. Only because you're a wise man. <laughs> he is. Right, listen. Um, we'll do it down here. So in, in Jesus' day, farmers, if they were to plough a field, they would take oxen, they would mount them on a, on, and they would have a yoke, and they'll plough a field. But what they noticed was this. They'll take some young guys, some young bulls or oxen, and they'll do this. Like this. And this is what they do. And then after they've done about half a field, a third of a field, they start weary and they get tired. And do you know what they do? They share a yoke with a more, uh, an older, someone that has experienced something. So they do this. They, they have a shared yoke. have a shared yoke. So you have a young oxen with a, with a more mature oxen. And what happens is as the young one starts to go off, the more mature one says, no, no, this is the pace in which we walk this life. Do, do you understand what Jesus is saying? Take my yoke on you. He's not adding one on you. He says you get rid of your old yoke and you take on my yoke. And Jesus says, this is the pace we go. And when a young bull says, oh, I'm going to go over here, he says, no, no, this, this, here, this is the steady pace we go. This is what life in the kingdom looks like. So when all the appeal and when we're talking about a countercultural kingdom, the countercultural kingdom says we go Jesus speed, not the speed of the world. It says our values are now God's values, not our values. 
So therefore, we're not no longer got my yoke and Jesus adds a yoke onto me. He says, no, you get rid of that yoke and you share, you have my yoke and you walk alongside me. Does that, do you understand that? Isn't that so helpful? Thank you, Steve. We yoke ourselves to him and allow him to set the pace, the pattern to life, which is contrary to that of the world. Man, I am so grateful that I'm living life with Jesus and I'm yoked to him. But if you think that this Jesus, this Christian, this religion stuff is just an added yoke to your already yoked life, you are, you are not following the Jesus of the Bible. He says you need to burn that yoke, you need to get rid of it. In fact, let's just look at that very quickly. Um, let's turn to 1 Kings, verses, uh, chapter 19. In fact, it'll come up behind me, otherwise it'll take you an age to get there and I'm nearly finished. 1 Kings 19, there's this guy called um, Elijah, and he's basically kind of commissions this guy, Elisha, basically his anointing falls on him. And just, let's just read what he says. This is the cost for Elisha, or what he does to follow um, Elijah. He says this, And he, Elisha, returned from following him, Elijah, and took the yoke of oxen, and he sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Listen, this is what Jesus says. He, says, he invites you to follow him. You need to burn those yokes. You need to burn those ways of following your own life and following what the world says. You burn those yokes and then you take on his yoke. And like Elisha followed Elijah, we follow Jesus. Do you see that? This is, it, can't, it can't be an add-on. It can't be a bolt-on. You can't just say, I'll try and follow Jesus while living my own life. No, all of that old life, it needs to die at the cross. And you need to live a new resurrected life with him where you say, I'm going to yoke myself to you and I'm going to go your pace. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. The only reason he does that is because Jesus is yoked to the Father. He's yoked to his dad. He's, he's listening. He's obedient to what God is saying for him to do. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And you know, Jesus models for us what life is meant to be like. That's one of the reasons he came, actually, is to model to us what sonship will look like, what this new life looks like. He came as a bit of a signpost, if you like, of what it looks like. But can I just say, knowing what Jesus did is not enough. We need to put into practice what Jesus did. Do you understand that? You, you might know all the things that Jesus did. That's great. But actually, unless you're putting those things into practice, it will have no effect on your life. Because Jesus can't give you his history. You need to make your own history between you and God. That means time. That means you spending time with him. But let me just say, your, I don't know, I could use a few examples. Your school does not need another head teacher, teacher, student that is just doing church on a Sunday. They need someone who is yoked to Jesus and living differently. The, the hospital over the ride doesn't just need another doctor or nurse or pediatrician that is just doing church on a Sunday or connect group on a Wednesday. They need someone that has sold their life and are yoked to Jesus and listening to him in the every single day. 
Our kids, our children need mums and dads who are sold out for Jesus and are willing to do anything for the cost of the gospel and to teach them how to listen and be obedient to him. Because they're yoked to Jesus. Someone who lives under a kingdom culture every day. So let's just very quickly look what this kingdom culture looks like and then honestly I'll round up. Because this kingdom, when we're talking about following Jesus and a countercultural kingdom, God's kingdom is a bit of an upside-down kingdom. All right? Or maybe we should rightly say the right-way-up kingdom because there's so much bent in our society. Those that were last shall be first. Those who lose their lives for his sake shall find it. Not one that lords it over others, but one that has come to serve. Not one that seeks a platform, but is worked out in private. And all of the measure of success that we've had under old life, it no longer applies to this new life. Now that's releasing for us, but sometimes we can still get fallen in the, into the trap of old ways of measuring success. All right? It means this. Suddenly, faith and obedience become the measure of your success. Do you hear that? What God is looking for is faith and obedience. And that's God's measure of success. How about this? Mercy and compassion become the currency of love. No longer just sex and relationships and companionship. Actually, you giving of yourself in mercy and compassion. That's what the Bible says. What about this? Servanthood and sacrifice become the value of your time. It's a completely countercultural kingdom that we are trying to walk in. And beyond all this, the Father becomes the center of our devotions. Our thoughts should be more about him than about us. And it's so easy to go back to the trash. If you think about it, let me just put it this way. Because I think if I just say this, it might just bring a bit of challenge. Or the Holy Spirit will do something. Think about it this way. What is the treasure in the field? The treasure in the field is God. It's this invitation to be with him. The treasure, ultimately, for all eternity, what we're looking forward to is spending time with him. So let me just ask you bluntly, if that is the treasure in the field, if there is no meaningful connection to God in the here and now, the question has to be asked, have you sold everything you've got to get the treasure? Otherwise, if I'm honest, you probably don't want to go to heaven because if all of heaven is about spending time with him and you don't want to do it now, then you're probably seeking after the wrong thing. The question is, have you given up all of that other stuff in order to find the treasure, which is Jesus? Listen, I'm talking to myself as much as anyone. It's so easy to go back to the trash, the appeal of image, titles, responsibility, money, sex, you name it. I was um, in Ashburnham just before the summer and I was, I was walking around the lake and I was praying and I felt God stop me. And he said, Alid, you say an awful lot of we prayers. But I'd never really hear you say me prayers anymore. In other words, I found that when I was praying, I was praying as I was in front of you guys. God, we're so thankful that you saved us. And Jesus says, what about I'm so thankful you saved me? We spend so much time doing the we stuff. God's question to me and my question to you is, what about the me stuff? Often, sometimes, my biggest battle, my biggest problem is even this stage. 
And, and God honors the stuff. He honors the platform. He honors teaching. He honors all that stuff. But he is far more interested in what's going on in private. <laughs> far more interested in what's going on in private. Why don't we just have the band up? I'll just finish on these couple of things. This, um, this guy, John Mark Comer, in his, his book, he, he makes a statement which did a number of me. He said, let's be honest, for many of us, our relationship with our phones is stronger than our relationship with God. Let me put it this way. Let me ask you, how long would it take you to notice that you have either mislaid your phone or you have lost internet connection? How long? Because if we're honest, some of us, it will be seconds. It may be minutes. God forbid if it's over an hour. How long would it take you to realize that you've lost your God connection? How, how long would it take? An hour? A day? Until next Sunday? You see, with this kind of stuff, it's like a credit card. You don't realize you've lost it until you go to turn for it. Often, Jesus is our way out of crisis. Jesus says, you've got to give everything up in order to gain the treasure in the fields. That is being yoked with Jesus and following him day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute listening and being attentive to his voice. It's saying, like we're going to sing in a minute, you're the king of my heart. I'm sure for many of us, we've sung that song so many times, I think in a minute we're going to sing it differently because we're going to sing it at a cost. And in a minute, it might be that you say, God, when I say you're the king of my heart, it means I'm going to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my fiancé because that is not part of my new life of following you. It might, it might mean for some of you say, God, when, in a minute when I'm singing you're the king of my heart, it means I'm no longer going to fiddle taxes or not apply for certain things in the way that I should just for financial gain because it doesn't honour you. I don't, you could put in there whatever you want, but I feel that for all of us, myself included, there will be areas where God says to count the cost of following me means you lay off all of that stuff of life in order to follow me to get the treasure. So Jesus would say this to us in closing, Matthew 16. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Why don't we stand together? I... At one level, I hope we're all challenged. I do. 
at, at one level I know, based on what we've even just read, one day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he says, away from me, I never knew you. I do not doubt for a second that there will be many people in here that have been following a bolt on Jesus and have not sold everything they had to follow him and get the treasure. I don't doubt that for a minute. So this is your opportunity to put that right. And as we sing this song, it's for you to say, and only sing this if you mean it, you're the king of my heart. Which means that this week is going to be you're the king of my choices. Which means this week is going to be you're the king of my finance. You're the king of my time. You're the king of my preferences. Why? Because it's not about me being sovereign in my life. It's about saying, you're now sovereign. You're the king of my heart. Why don't close our eyes? I'm just going to pray for us. And then Janair will lead us in a song. And then Paul will pick up the pieces. Jesus, we are so sorry for going our own way. We're so sorry where we've been king and gods of our own lives. And where we're maybe here for the first time, maybe where we haven't received you before, we say, God, I might not know all the answers, but one thing I do know is that everything in this world Everything that this culture offers me has never satisfied me. And so I say, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me for going my own way? And today I say, I want you to be king of my life. But I know it's going to come at a great cost. It's going to come at a great cost when I lay down my ambitions and plans and my hopes and even my family and my finances and my time even what I do in in my time, I, I say, Lord, I choose to lay that all down because I know that you are the one, you are the treasure in the field that can truly satisfy. And Lord, for the many of us that are here have a relationship with you, but often sometimes we get trapped into old ways of thinking. We say, Lord God, would you come, would you forgive us of living a way that is not like you? And we say, God, in every area of our life, we say, you are to be king. You are to be king. And so we say, Lord, we repent today, which means we turn our backs on those old ways of thinking again, and we say, Lord, we want to continue to be yoked with you today and to follow and listen to you closely. And Lord, I want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're here and that the difference between living an old life and a new life is that we do it with you that you are always close at hand, you are always with us. And so therefore we say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fall afresh on us? Would you come and fill us again? Would you empower us to live not our lives, but your life in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we're just going to give you 30 seconds to do a bit of personal business with God. Let me just encourage you, because in about 10 minutes, I'm going to be out of here to go and preach at Bex Hill. Let me encourage you, don't leave this place without doing business with God. You do business with God now, just for these 30, 40 seconds. Just start it up, and then we're going to sing this song, King of My Heart, and then I'll hand over to these guys to lead us on.
Thank you.